Blog Talk Radio. My name is Amina Doherty, and I'm the host of um, the show. Um, the purpose of Young Women Speak Out is really just to bring together really creative, dynamic young women from around the world to share um, with us some of the inspiring work that they're doing. Um, and this week, I have a really great guest from the UK, so I'm very excited to be talking to her. I'll introduce her in just a moment. Um, but before we get started, just a couple of things to run by you all, as always. First of all, this is our second to last show in the series, um, and we've had a, I've had a really amazing time um, presenting the show so far, but right now we would like to ask you for some feedback. So as you know, I've been working very closely with the Sylvia Global Media team to bring you these shows every week, but we would really like your feedback. So if you have any thoughts on the show, any of the content, um, the way that it's presented, or if there are topics and issues that you think you would like for us to cover in future shows, please do let us know. You can write to me at sheroxlox at gmail.com, S-H-E-R-O-X-L-O-X at gmail.com, or you can send me a message on Twitter at sheroxlox. Um, as always, we hope the show will be streaming live and reaching you via the Sylvia Global website, which is sylviaglobal.com. Um, and if you happen to miss the show, we will be uploading them um, in due course. Um, so, <laughs> let's get started. Um, I would love to introduce today's guest, Zena Edwards. Zena is a London-based um, performance poet, writer, and musician. And her, of her um, biography says, her vibrant poetry is inspired by experiences of travel, particularly through Africa, as well as traditional African music and songs. Um, Zena has performed at WOMAD, the London Jazz Festival, the URB Hip Hop Festival in Helsinki, Glastonbury, which is really cool, and a whole bunch of other places. So welcome, Zena, to the show. Hi there. Thank you for having me. <laughs> good, good. So we'll get Ram started right away. And... One of the first things that I wanted to know is what inspires you um, and what moves you to create? Because I know that you're this Wonder Woman writer, um, performance poet, musician. What inspires you to create? Tell me a bit more about Zena. Okay, well, I started writing really when I was a child. I'm an only child. So I find that I had to sort of write and process my world through creativity in some particular way. So I did a lot of writing and a lot of drawing when I was a child. And I think I used to, um, I used to be able to sort of like write stories that helped me to reimagine and recreate a kind of world that I felt a little bit more accepted in, if I was to be mm -hmm. honest with you. I was a child who was quite bullied in school. Um, didn't feel like I was properly accepted. But I found it was a, a way to really engage with the world from a different perspective. I kind of looked at the world through slightly different goggles than the rest of the world did. And mm -hmm. it kind of helped me to feel like I had a place and a sense of place in the world. Uh, particularly when I was growing up, because I, as a young black child, 
You know, there wasn't very much thing, very many things in mainstream media to represent me. So um, I had to create a world that I felt comfortable in. And now I still feel uncomfortable in the world. There's, been, you know, there's things that turmoil, there's wars, there's um, uh, inequality against women. Uh, and for me, I feel I still need to be able to write a world that makes sense to me. Mm. Um, I use music as well as a vocalist. I enjoy to, I enjoy listening to the types of music that inspires me, such as artists like Diane Reed because she's an incredible storyteller. Fela mm -hmm. um, Kuti because of his um, grittiness and engagement with politics and injustice. So there's particular writers and singer-songwriters that I engage with because they help me make sense of some of the madness out there. Mm. Um, so that's 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 some of the some of the stuff that inspires me. And you know it's funny because one of the questions that um, I got for you before the show by email was someone wanting to know you know what inspired you to start writing, but also this question of um, when you do when you're you know on stage and performing, do you still get nervous? How do you deal with you know standing out and talking your truth in front of an audience? Um, actually, one of the things that I found most empowering is to actually speak your entire truth. I think there's something about being vulnerable on stage that you mm. can actually find it's very disarming for an audience. So that you can, I actually feel quite empowered by the fact that I am speaking with complete honesty when I'm on stage. Mm. Um, also, I mean, the work that I choose to write about, the stories that I choose to tell, um, stories about, um, like I said, we were talking about before, stories about injustice. Um, they're stories that a lot of people that can relate to. It can be anything to do with like personal relationships to wider global issues. Global issues. Mm -hmm. And once you start speaking from a space of real honesty, um, people tend to be able to relate with that, and they, you actually find that they're on your side. So. The nerves kind of, every time I go on stage, I'm nervous, but the nerves kind of dissipate once mm -hmm. you start to feel the audience are with you. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a, there's, a, there's a misconception about going on stage that um, you have to impress people. I don't think so. I think at the end of the day, um, you just have to go on stage and be really honest. Mm -hmm. And so how... How do you see yourself as both an artist and an activist? You've talked a lot about, you know, the work that you're doing around addressing issues of injustice. How do both of those sides of who you are come together? And what has that meant for the work that you, you also do? Can you ask that question again? There was a little delay there. Sure, you? sure. I was asking how you see yourself as both an artist and an activist, and how both of those elements of who you are influence what you do. Um, I think, again, it's more about being able to be true to self, you mm. know. Um, I don't, I, and also, yeah, it's about being true to yourself, and also I, I think my concern is for young people. Um, I've been a young person who has felt kind of like outside of the outside of the mainstream, mm -hmm. and I think young people nowadays they're under so much pressure now to kind of like fit and to conform, and 
and particularly young women as well, I think, to have like the perfect lifestyle, the perfect body, the the um you know, just this element of perfection that doesn't actually exist. So I think there's a lot of pressure on young people to be able to um to fit into a world that that actually doesn't really accommodate them in like, there's a whole that there's a whole concept of like um what it is to be beautiful and you have a lot of women who feel ostracized by that concept and that mm-hmm, idea. Mm-hmm. So for me I feel like I need to have a somebody needs to be a voice for those those people. For those You know, it's people. really interesting two things um, that you bring up. And I'm fortunate enough to sort of like bridge the generations between mm. I was I was gonna say it's really interesting two things that you brought up were um images and perceptions of beauty and also the word voice and I'm gonna you know, bring up two different things based on on that. The first is um, I completely relate to what you were saying about, you know, the struggles and the issues that many young women face around perceptions of beauty. And one of the things that I've um, been working on is a kind of visual project called I Feel Beautiful When. So if folks have a chance to check that out, um, do. It's on Tumblr on ourspaceislove.tumblr.com. But also you brought up this word voice. Why do you think it's important, particularly for young black women, to um, to kind of use to use their voices to speak their truth? Why do you you know why do you think that's important? Because I think there's a narrative that's not told, not in the mm-hmm. mainstream. So I think whenever you have an opportunity, I think you should speak it. Um, you should you should speak your voice and you should tell this story because it deserves a place like any other story in world history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think most of the time, the voices of, of women, particularly women of color, we are. I mean, this is my personal opinion. People can agree with me or not, but I believe I believe we're at the bottom of the food chain. Mm. That's the way I kind of like describe it. Um, so you're the last person to get consulted about anything. You're the last person to get given anything, and you're the last. And when you speak up and speak out against it, um, you're more than likely going to be the first person who will be shouted down. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to stand strong. It's very interesting. I was having a conversation with another poet friend, um, Bali Villapazi, a African African poet, um, and we were talking about a project that we're in, that. We, she was involved in called the, the Fury Project, which is a mm-hmm. project about anger, um, particularly perceptions of women's anger, um, and what basically what happens to anger when it's racialized or, or genderized. Mm-hmm. Um, the Fury Project it, it started off um, through a commission with the um, UK Vibes International, uh, uh, UK Arts International for the Afro Vibes Festival. And I was doing a one-woman show called Traveling Life, where it's, which is a story about my mother, myself, and my grandma and our relationship. And one of the things that I found out was that while growing up as a young woman of, of, of color, and not that phrase I'm very happy with, but a black woman in the UK, um, I found that um, I didn't have a way to express my anger and my frustration about the alienation and, and the, marginal, the marginalization I was feeling. Mm-hmm. So um, it was missing elements in my story between these three women, mm-hmm. uh, and um, so I, I started this project with UK Arts International called the Three Furies, which is based on the Greek mythology of the Three Furies. Mm-hmm. And I started to look at fury, women's fury, and 
how um, fury, when it's in its purest form, is actually can actually be a mobilizer for positive action. You know, um, when when some of the, the biggest sort of like world revolutions have been started by women and young people, the Arab Spring was about that. Some of the Russian Revolution was about that. You know, so and there's so many um, incidences of women in the African diaspora who have started the revolution. So um, I suddenly thought to myself, I want to focus on this this thing called fury and mm. go beyond anger and look at how anger can transform into this energy called fury which brings about change. That's my perception. That's why I kind of like made this equation between anger and fury. Mm. Uh, and um, for me, I think anger is just an energy and it depends on how you choose to use it and how women's anger and how men's anger is perceived is a discussion that's not often had. You know, as a woman, you, you're when you get angry, you're either just hysterical or you're over-emotional um, or you're so hot when you're angry, but your anger is never taken seriously, whereas a man, he can just kick off and just like, oh, it's just men letting off, you know. Right. And, but anger itself as an energy is most of the time considered destructive and negative, but I think if you focus on using the energy for something positive, it can actually bring about some incredible changes. Hmm. So that's the Fury Project, just an exploration of anger, but particularly... So many, so many different things come to mind as you describe um, your work with the Fury Project and also what I have for myself called righteous anger. You know, I think that it's okay to be angry, and I think we should be angry about injustice and things that don't sit right for us, and I think that that's why um, many folks like us call ourselves activists, because we're trying to change something because something makes us angry. You know, the position that we're in, the, you know, things that we see in our society make us angry, and I think that it's okay to be angry, and we need to talk more about that. So I'm really excited that you're doing this work with the Fury Project. One of the things that I wanted to kind of link it with is the work that you did um, right after the 2011 London riots, particularly working with young people um, to really address what happened. So maybe if you can tell the viewers a little bit about um, the riots and also what you did um, to sort of channel this righteous anger or this fury as, as we're calling it today. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, for me, I felt it was really important um, as I would like to call myself and, and other people out there who I know bridges, like bridges between the generations. I thought it was important as a bridge between an older generation and a younger generation to speak, to, to, to um, basically translate what each other was saying about each other. When the riots kicked off, there were some things that I was hearing from older generation people say, or an older generation of thinking even, about young people that I thought, hold on a second, this is really unfair. There was also a class issue that came in that, that um, uh, got involved in the conversation. And I just thought, actually, if anybody's child was in a situation that some of these young people found themselves in, then, mm. you know, um, we have to remember that the whole thing with the rights started in my local area where I used to live in Tottenham with the death of a young boy called Mark Duggan, mm -hmm. um, you know, shot by the police. With, and his family had no idea what had happened, there was no explanation, and there's always been tension, particularly in the area of Tottenham. 
So when these young people kicked off, I just thought, well, actually, they're letting off some frustration based on the fact that they feel bullied. They feel bullied in school. They feel bullied by the governmental system, by the police, by um, the fact that they can't get work. You know, there's so many things that kind of are um, putting pressure on them to be something, but they they can't they can't be this something. The aspirations towards owning and possession and having things. Um, also, I think that kind of distorts the way that they 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 envisage the world and the way they see themselves because possessions make you who you are. Mm-hmm. So I think there was so many discussions that I wanted to have with groups of young people about where is your real place in the world at your age in this technological, digital, globalized world. Where is your place in that? And I found it really important to again give um, this group of young people a voice. At the end of the day, it's about having a voice that's validated. Um, And it has to be heard, at least, to be heard and acknowledged, to feel validated. And then what you do with it beyond that, and how um, um, people respond to it beyond that, that's that's another conversation. But in the meantime, be strong in your voice, have a voice, and at least feel that your voice is, is acknowledged and validated. So how did you do that when you talk about ensuring that finding media is validated? What did you do? Through dance, through film, through spoken word. It's creativity. Through creativity, you know, um, film is just the perfect medium, I think. You know, um, because it's a storytelling device which has uh, visuals and and, uh, words. You know, it can be without, but you know, it can be without words. But a film is just an excellent medium. So we were using film um, uh, in the, one of the projects I'm doing now, which is called Shake. Um, but we call it Voices That Shake. So it's about even if your voice is shaking, speak. You know, through the anger, through the tears, whatever, whatever it is, even if your voice is shaking, speak. Speak your, speak your voice. Tell your story. So um, we were using film and spoken words um, and music. And so did you find that people were very responsive to the work that you were doing, Um, you know, beyond the young people that were involved, you know, I remember the work that you were doing was very community-centered as well, so you were trying to get people, you know, folks across the community involved. How did people respond to the work? Very well. Um, again, I think it's because we're telling human stories. Mm. You know, There's, with any with any of my work and any of my writing, I focus on what makes us what we have in common. You know, I want to tell human stories. I don't want to tell stories that. Um, how can I explain it? It's, obviously, I'm I'm black and I'm a woman. <laughs> So I'm going to speak from this space, but at the end of the day, um, you put anybody in in my skin, in my gender, and they will probably have exactly the same feelings that I'm having. So we need to be able to to find a a language where you can, yeah, you find a language. Again, I'm so hot on this word bridge right about now. It seems to be a real buzzword for me. It's like, how do we bridge the gap? How do we bridge mm-hmm. the gap between the generations, between the races, between the religions? Who are the people who can act as bridges? 
So mm-hmm. I think people can appreciate that, even though they might not label what I do as bridging. I think that I think people can appreciate that it's a human story that actually connects us all. It shows the interconnectedness between them. And so do you feel like as an artist and as an activist, as a young black woman who's involved in the community, that you have a responsibility not only to facilitate storytelling, but to um, to provide means by which people feel empowered? Do you feel like you have that responsibility? And what do you think fuels that? Sorry, could you ask that question again? I didn't catch the first half. I, I sure. I'm facilitating. <laughs> I was asking whether you feel like, as an artist um, and as an activist, that you have a responsibility to your community. Yeah. Yeah. And what Um, fuels that? I mean, what fuels it? Um, Okay, Um, I can speak speak personally. I think because... um, my family situation wasn't ideal. I feel I have a quite fractured family. We're only just trying to come together. Like, for example, I was saying my, my, my mother was separated from her own mother at the age of four. And we found her again 60 years later. We had to go all the way back to the island of Nevis to find out that my mother's mother had been living in southeast London for about 30 years or something. Wow. Mm-hmm. So my sense of family is quite fractured. And for me, I think there's a personal or maybe a deeper ingrained desire to create a family, a community, a sense of, of, of wholeness, if you like, or oneness, mm-hmm. um, without trying to sound cliché. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's work that needs to be done to do that. And I'm really seeing how, on a micro level, the fracturing of the family is actually a symbol of the fracturing of communities. So mm-hmm. it's about, with, for myself, I, I'm trying to weave these stories and work with people and, and projects that want to, to pull the families and pull communities back together again. Mm-hmm. I think there are systems in place that depend on us being fractured in the past and fearful of each other, so for me, through creativity, um, which is what artists do, I think we spend a lot of time trying to tell these alternative stories, the ones that aren't the mainstream that tend to create a lot of division, so I think we spend a lot of time honing our craft to say, look, we're all the same, we're all the same, we're all the same, we're all the same, you know, or similar in our, but with our differences, which is what makes us beautiful. Mm -hmm, Thank you for sharing that. One of the things that I know um, from having conversations with you is that you, you're very influenced by um, South African art and South African artists. You talk about being influenced by the music, the politics, the people. Why South Africa? And maybe if you could tell us a little bit about some of the work that you have done um, in South Africa. Sure. Um, my first trip to Africa was in '94 with an art project. Um, I was sort of singing in this girl group, and one of their dads, one of the girls' dads, was is a, is a gentleman called Eugene Skeet, South African um, artist and activist. And he took a whole bunch of us, like a project of 17 people, from the British Council to South Africa. And it was the first time that I felt 
that I was ever in a majority anywhere. Mm-hmm. I was everywhere was it was just black people everywhere, and I'd never experienced that before. So I, and what I found there was it was such a life-changing experience because what I also found was that the people lived with so much passion, regardless of whether the circumstances they were living in. I think it was it was being able to feel a passion to know that you can live through your experiences, you can live your life to the extremes if you like. So say for example you have a scale of 1 to 10, uh, minus 1 and plus 10, I thought I was living in plus 3 and minus 3. Mm-hmm. But to go to South Africa, something was awakened in me, emotionally, creatively, um, spiritually, um, mentally, just the way people engage with politics. Um, I found that the, it, it just awakened something in me, so I was totally drawn there. But also um, working with um, a musician called Pox Mohammed, uh, mm-hmm. beautiful person, beautiful spirit, fantastic musician, who did a lot of work with um, traditional um, traditional artists, traditional musicians from the Kalahari Desert, the Khoisan, mm-hmm. um, the Fosa tribe. Uh, I sang with the South African gospel choir for a couple of years. So what I found was that there was something in the music, in the groundedness, um, in the ancientness of the tradition mm-hmm. that I really connected with that I didn't realize had been missing in my life um, as a sort of like urban, urban young woman, you know, mm-hmm. who manages to navigate her way around the city of London. I've always felt like a bit of a country girl um, deep down, but I just know how to find my way around city of London. Mm. There was definitely something about the music, the harmonies in the music, which was just so satisfying and fulfilling, and yeah. And so, what are some so of that? What are some of what are some of the kind of products that have come out of your experiences? You know, going back to South Africa. I know that you've worked on many different projects with people. So, what are some of the things that you've done since that first trip? Um, well, working with Fox Mohammed was a beautiful experience. Um, I was able to work with um, write poetry for fantastic artists called Lucy and Plongo. She's passed mm-hmm. now, Austin Power. Um, uh, going to South Africa to work with um, a project called The Power in the Voice, which was a which, which was a British council a British council initi- initiative. Uh, between five different uh, countries, and I was asked to go out there to South Africa to work with South African poets, mm-hmm. uh, poets, rappers, and storytellers to do like a huge international interschool slam. Uh, and we worked with I worked with them to in, empower young people to write and tell their stories. Um, that was in sort of 2009, eight, nine. Um, Going to South Africa more recently, working with um, again with the British Council um, to uh, work with Mbali Vilakazi on this Fury uh, project. Mm-hmm. That was the most recent one. That was uh, April or March last year, um, which was a brilliant experience. And also, I was invited out there to do my one woman show, Travelling Light. Um, but I think. One of the experiences that I've had through working with South Africa is some of the cultural exchange work I've done with Pop Mohammed because he taught me so much about um, valuing tradition 
mm-hmm. ancient traditions. I have like a multitude of, of kalimbas and inviras because he gave me my first invira zavazimu, which is from Zimbabwe, um, which is an instrument which you would call a thumb piano here. The European name is a thumb piano. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has just been one of the most uplifting instruments I've ever played. And, you know, I can put it in my bag. It's so convenient to carry around. And So there's there's something about the trips that I've had to South Africa that is all about an awakening. Mm. So the product is just a new way of thinking, if you like. Yeah. So if, if you know, there were a, there's young woman watching this show who's feeling really inspired by um, the things that you've shared, the different ideas and issues that you've shared, um, what advice would you give to someone who's kind of just getting started as a writer, as a poet, as a singer, songwriter, whatever? What advice would you give them? Um, a couple of things. I would say, um, really allow yourself to surrender to your writing. Don't feel obliged to copy anybody else's style. It's okay to experiment with other people's styles, but always try to write yourself back to yourself in your own story. Um, and, and, Find people who you can share your work with, who you who you can trust, who will be really honest with you about your writing. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is to um, yeah, don't judge it. That's what I say. Don't judge your writing. Just let it be what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I would say is to take your time. You have the rest of your life to be a writer and an artist and to develop and grow. Just keep your eye out for people who you feel are like tribe, who you can share your work with, who who champion you as a writer mm-hmm. as well. Um, and to just read. Read and read and read and read and read and read. Um, that's one of the things I would definitely suggest. Read all the Who poets. are you reading at read the moment? You like, read quotes you hate. <laughs> because it will just give you a better sense of where... Um, I'm reading, um, actually I'm reading Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Paolo Freire. Freire. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got my eye on um, reading the Book of Night Women again by mm-hmm. uh, Marlon James. It's an absolutely incredible book. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the most interesting things about that book was the tension um, between the main character who I didn't actually like, but her story was so compelling because it is the story. I got a real sense that that's the very first that I got a real sense of what slavery must have been like for black women, uh, for African women trying to survive there. It's just mm-hmm. such a compelling book, but the character was just so incredibly well written. Mm-hmm. Even though I didn't like her, I had to know her story and I had so much empathy for her. Um, it was it's an incredible book. So I've got my eye back on the book of book of night women. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm definitely adding that one to my list of books. Yeah, that's my um, and so before we wrap up today's show, I just wanted to ask you really quickly, for people that have heard the show today and want to get in touch, would like to know more about the different projects you're involved in, how can they contact you? How can people get in touch with you? Um, I have um, my sort of website, it's a blog site, 
um, which is Good New Zealand. I don't have a website saying zealandwoods.com. That's just way too easy, isn't it? So I have to go through a whole other kind of uh, process of having a blog, which is my name. It is my name. My name means good news. So I decided I was going to call my blog Good New Zealand. That's uh, .wordpress.com. Okay, great. Uh, well, so that's where you can find me. Also I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, um, Tumblr, so you can just Google me. Thank you so much for joining us today, Zina. It was really, really wonderful to be able to talk to you. As I was saying to you before, you know, I've been following your work for a while now. Um, I remember when we first met, actually, at the South Bank in London, and I was so blown away and inspired by your energy that you're definitely someone that I wanted to have on this show. So thank you so much for agreeing to come on and bearing with us as we kind of powered through the, the technical difficulties. Um, but it was really a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, is there anything that you would like to say before we go? Yeah. Thank you. Um, no, I just want to say, you know, this is such a fantastic format. Young Women Speak Out. It's brilliant. Even, I mean, like, technology, you've got to love it for the way that it can connect. Its reach is incredible, despite some of the other things, the negative stuff that comes through. It's made things like this happen. And, yes, yeah, so there's more power to you. Young Women Speak Out is brilliant. Brilliant concept, brilliant format. So thank you for inviting me to be part of it. It was a pleasure. So thank you, everyone, for watching this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. And sorry again for the late start. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we have one show left, um, and that will be my interview with Guyanese-born poet Lemisa George, who um, recently set up um, BGR Mag, um, and who will be talking to us about um, Black Girl in the Ring, which is her um, one of her, her poems that kind of started this magazine that she started, an online magazine. Um, and she will be joining me for my next interview, and that will be the last one of the series. So... Folks, please do get in touch with me and let me know what you think of the show um, and, you know, what you would like to see more of. Hopefully we can keep it going. And thank you again to Sylvia Global for helping us engineer and run the show. Carl has been an amazing um, engineer for us today. So thank you so much and looking forward to seeing you all next week. Bye.